0: Met dreamer, and welcome to Nocturne, the umbral planet of twilight tales and slumberant songs. Yuki had woken up late. It could be difficult to tell on Nocturne when this had happened. Saint Cecilia's moonlight shone, and the sky retained its deep purple hues no matter the time of day. But Yuki could tell. Her unconscious thoughts tracked the possible opportunities she missed. It constructed a circadian rhythm of guilt that rivaled Chronobor for its accuracy. She pushed herself out of bed before moving over to the window. Looking out, she confirmed her lateness with the Alabaster District's clock tower. Alabaster was a new district. It had existed in small ways for many years it only gained its official district status once Yuki founded the University Celestial. That meant it was one of the few districts without a lunar cathedral. These would usually display the time of day on a prominent spire or tower. Lacking this, Alabaster's residence depended on a large four-sided clock that stood atop a tall pole in the center of the district. The clock confirmed her suspicions. It was close to midday, and she was now factually and intuitively late to rise. It was a bad look to be the boss and last into work. There was also much work to do before the evening's experiments with Nevin. Fueled by shame, Yuki snatched at whatever clothes came to hand, then ran downstairs. After grabbing some bread and cheese to nibble on, she flew out the door and into the open air. Yuki had the great fortune of living near the university, so the trip there was rather short. Down a few streets and left at the marble fountain in Sylvia Square, then the university buildings would be on her right. She would normally admire the building's sharp, square corners made from pearlescent stone. Instead, she rushed towards the entrance and pushed on the thick glass doors that separated the outside of the university from the inn. Upon entering, she was presented with a cavernous atrium of arching white stone and skylights. The stone was rough to the touch and sucked the moisture right out of the air. It then digested the air and refilled the space with a delicate chalky scent. Small, misty blue ornaments from the Azure district punctuated the whiteness of the atrium. Embedded into the stone walls, they glowed in the darkness that Moonslight failed to find. Yuki paced through the atrium, waving a hand at any staff she passed on her way. Her laboratory was one of the first to exist at the university, which meant it was quick to reach when one resolved to rush. She took the hallway to the left and burst through the door to her lab. She had expected a warm, if derisory, welcome from the twins, then a fawning, poor, centric greeting from Courgette. Instead, only the quiet humming emanating from the workshop's songlight prototypes greeted her. She shuffled over to her desk, slumped in her chair, and then stared up at the ceiling. Her rush wasn't worthless, but… It was for less than she thought it would be for. Dragging her attention away from the ceiling, she saw a note on her desk that looked to be in Felix's cramped handwriting. Stayed late with Freya. Concert was sensational. See you at Lavender tonight, Felix. Yuki put the note down and returned to her examination of the ceiling the stress of lateness and delay slid away and was replaced by loneliness. She told herself that she couldn't feel annoyed about it. She had told Felix to take the morning off. Why not the whole day too? As long as he could attend to their experiments in lavender that evening, then all would be good. She was excited to hear about the concert too, but that would have to wait as well. Freya was likely to be more tired than either Felix or her, considering the exertion of a full night's performing. She leant back further and relaxed in her chair. Doing so made space in her mind for a problem to waltz in without an appointment. She needed a research plan for tonight. Despite having considered her next steps on the walk home yesterday, the effort had not resulted in a plan. She ran over the original ideas she wrote down with Felix for good measure. It was clear the situation had changed now. Their priority was no longer hiding their work from Nevin, but making the most of including him. She'd have to start the planning from first principles once again. Yuki grabbed a sheaf of papers and started writing out the variables that were worth testing. She wanted to know whether the hymnal itself was important. Nevin would have to agree to sing another piece at midnight to test that, and that could be challenging. Then, there was the minster itself. (laughs) Nevin would need to perform the ceremony somewhere else then. Another difficult request. Then there were all the performance aspects to control – loudness, tone, rubato, embellishments. This could be tough, too. She had worked with bards before, and even they found this direction difficult to follow. Nevin could sing, but could he take this direction effectively? A thought parted Yuki's flow state of planning. She had only seen Nevin produce Diamond Songlight once. It failed to produce it the second time. They had disrupted that performance, but there was no songlight before they did so either. The more she considered this, the more she reasoned that there was a fragility to his songlight. A fragility to Nevin. If he couldn't produce consistent songlight, then studying it, would become very troublesome. How would they know if their variable controlled the songlight, or if Nevin had just had a bad performance that evening? She rested her quill on her desk and pushed the sheets of paper away from her. All the grand experiments might have to wait. Confirming that Nevin could consistently generate songlight was most critical it underpinned everything. Her chair groaned as she leaned back in it once again. If there were inconsistency issues, then they need to uncover what was causing them. Yuki rocked her chair backwards and forwards, using her foot on the edge of the desk. She thought about the repercussions and the extra work needed if this was a real problem. There was the time lost, but also the risk Nevin could give up altogether. Sighing, she consoled herself. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Worry obstructed Yuki's thoughts. She wanted a better, faster plan for researching Nevin, but nothing really presented itself to her. The silence of the lab allowed her thoughts to wander, but they only managed to dance in circles. She knew what she wanted to study, what she was likely to have to do instead, and then all the work needed if it went wrong. Her mind grew tired of this loop, and diverted the responsibility of this anxiety to her body. First, with an unstoppable yawn, followed by a restlessness in her legs. If she couldn't make progress sitting in the lab, then being somewhere else might help. She needn't have agreed with the logic of this premise. It was immediately more pleasing for her to stand than it was to remain seated. And then, leaving the university was much more enticing than staying here. This feeling pulled her down the hallway and out of the university celestial. Taking in the fresh air, she was initially drawn to the Lavender District and its minster as if being there exceedingly early would make the wait more bearable. Her better sense told her that this was both unlikely to help and, if anything, would make the wait feel even longer. Yuki turned her thoughts further afield. There wasn't much to do near Lavender, but the Evergreen District was only a small detour north of there. Evergreen made its case for Yuki's need to unfurl. Its gardens, its tree-lined streets, and plentiful cafes satisfied Yuki's mind well enough. So, she walked the small journey back home to collect her bike and cycled towards Evergreen. Evergreen always had the most curious lighting. The towering trees flanking its boulevards blocked most of the moonlight from reaching the ground. When the southern winds arrived, the trees waved their branches and their leaves shivered. This movement made shifting patterns beneath them as moonlight dripped through their canopy. Purposefully sown luminous fungi rooted themselves in the lower parts of the tree trunks. They provided the light that the moons could not down there. It dampened shadows and uplit the chins of the Nocturnians that moseyed around Evergreen. Yuki bathed in the muted energies of Evergreen. She had a choice of the utmost importance ahead of her. There were cafes enough for a full year of new drinking experiences here but only time today for one. She wheeled her bike down the cobbled streets while peeking at cafes. Her mind was playing a game of snap with the vibes in each establishment. None of them quite matched hers until one did. Le café innovation. It stood out to her due to its unusual song-lamp arrangement. The lamps glowed a dense red light that seeped lazily out of it before falling towards the floor. Underneath these lamps were a variety of plants. All were thick-stemmed and had bulbous, dark blue fruits hanging from them. She entered before realizing she even wanted to. Inside the café stood a tall, weedy nocturnian. They were rummaging through a wall of drawers that sat behind a wooden countertop. They turned around, and Yuki noticed their fine, circular glasses. They also wore a thick leather apron with the word brewmeister embossed onto it. She greeted the brewmeister, who welcomed her in return. They asked what she would like from the menu, gesturing to a chalkboard of options above their head. Written on it were many variations of moonflower brews named after famous Nocturnians. The Garibaldi at the top of the menu caught her eye first. It was a sweet moonflower brew infused with dry fruits from the sand sea. Garibaldi was the first explorer to return with reports from the Sand Sea, so the name made sense. Looking further down the list, there was the Tangelo, the Meredith, the Falk. They all sounded delicious. One menu item in particular hooked her attention. The tallow. She was up there too. She studied the description Simple but effective, double-concentrated brew from Plateau-sourced Moonflower Seeds. She didn't feel simple and was only occasionally effective. What's the motivation behind the names? asked Yuki. The brewmeister looked up at the menu and then back to Yuki. They're all discoverers. It's what I'm trying to do here too responded the brewmeister who then pointed to the plants in the window. The brewmeister told Yuki that the plants were all different varieties of moonflower, some of which were used for the brews at the cafe. Yuki nodded thoughtfully and wondered whether to tell them that she was the tallow on the board above them. Not desiring the attention, she opted for discretion and ordered a drink. She asked the brewmeister for something intense and earthy, and they accepted the challenge. They examined the wooden boxes behind them, which Yuki could now see were filled with different kinds of seeds. As they did, the brewmeister talked Yuki through their process. Dark, earthy flavors were best found in seeds near the sand sea The drier and windier the terroir, the better. They knew a merchant who lived near the Sand Sea. That merchant had found food hard to come by up there. So, they both agreed that the brewmeister would get the seeds, and the merchant would get supplies from the brewmeister whenever they visited the city with a delivery. The brewmeister proceeded to grind the seeds and then transferred them to a thick metal gauze. They then pumped hot water through the seeds and into a cup below. It was a much more elaborate setup than Yuki had for the moonflower seeds at her office. When the brewmeister finished, they gave Yuki the cup and she sat by the window. She examined the song lamps there Wondering who could produce songlight like this thick mist. She sipped at her cup as she let her thoughts absent mindedly bounce around her head. It was earthy, as she was promised, but not overwhelmingly so. Calmed, she asked the brewmeister about the songlight. To her surprise, they were responsible for it. Before she could ask how, the brewmeister preempted her curiosity. For these song lamps, it wasn't the singer that was important. They were broken song lamps he'd bought from a merchant because he enjoyed the light that they produced. Yuki made a note to investigate the exact deficiencies of these lamps another time. With her cup empty, Yuki took that as her cue to leave. She wrote out a small note, signed it, and then handed it across the countertop to the brewmeister. She watched as they read the note, then tensed up, then gawped before controlling their mouth back to its regular shape. "Uh, uh, That's very generous, Miss Tallow. One for the brew, and one for your charming introduction to moonflower terroir explained Yuki. This was one of the benefits of owning the Songlamp Refilling Factory. Almost everyone was happy to receive your favors no matter where you went. Darkness wasn't going anywhere, and neither was the need for high-quality songlight. Checking the time, there were still a few hours left before her evening with Nevin and Felix began. She needed to distract herself still from the apprehensions that awaited her in lavender. She asked the brewmeister where one could find a quiet park, preferably with good moonlight as well. They pointed her to the southern end of the street and assured her that a park most charming would be waiting for her there. Yuki then left with a wave sneaking a look back at the brewmeister. She saw their tension leave them as she walked away. Simple and effective indeed. The parks in Evergreen acted as town squares. They all had a different flavor to them. Some preferred to keep things dark and dense, offering cozy groves for solitary souls. The south of the district specialized in fountains and ponds along with the watery plants that thrive in such places. Parks were not all about relaxation and reflection. Many parks were turned into allotments for growing food other than mushrooms. The Raisin de la Notte was a particular specialty of the district, as was its venting. Other parks featured huge gazebos made from trees force-grown into shape and had thick, gnarled roots at their base. They were often used for communal gatherings, special events, and a place to shelter from the rain when it fell. After leaving the café, Yuki strolled down the street. She admired the apples that hung from the trees in the area before reaching the entrance to the park. There was a sign outside bearing the name of this park, a solitude for souls by Evelyn Glades. The park's name bothered Yuki. The typical park was built and maintained by those local to the area, not an individual. A community or street would be used as the name for the park. She had also seen Evelyn's name before on other signs. Yuki assumed Evelyn must be a famous local or an expert park curator. Inspecting the sign further, she noticed it had a forward for its visitors. The dear residents of Moorgate entrusted their park to my hands. I hope to repay their faith with many peaceable memories. Within, you will find a forest of dark solitude, punctuated by clearings filled with bluebells and moonlight. Find your own peace of quiet, lay yourself down, and bathe in the clarifying light of St. Cecilia. Explore my other works, including A Park of Trees and Grass on Broadbean Boulevard and A Labyrinth of Leaves on Lavender Lane. Yours restfully, Evelyn Glades. Evidently, this Evelyn character had put a lot of thought into this, and from the description, the brewmeister's recommendation was apt. She still had a few hours left before she needed to be in Lavender, so she stepped forward into the park. The canopy above her was more dense than outside the park. It blocked almost all the light from the moons and blackened her surroundings. She struggled to see the trees in front of her face, save for a few sparse spears of light that came from behind trees and outlined their barky crags. She moved towards the sources of this light, careful not to trip on any roots. Light split more generously from around the trees as she drew closer. After edging around one particularly well-backlit tree, she encountered only light. The wide, nocturnian pupils in her eyes tightened, trying to hold back as much of the light as they could. As they succeeded, she found herself in a clearing with bluebells at her feet and moonslight pouring down from the open sky above her. The trees were shaped into a funnel wide at the top, and thin at the bottom, maximizing the light that could enter and minimizing where it could escape to. She laid herself on the ground and looked to the sky. She could only see a slice of the great moon above her, but that slice filled the entire opening of the canopy. She turned her head to the side, and looked at a most prominent bluebell. It stood a petal's height above the others around it. She watched it closely. She was certain the flower was growing, trying patiently to reach Saint Cecilia above. She wondered how long that might take. She gazed at its elongating stem and sprouting leaves, watching as it climbed. The bluebell almost touched the tip of the canopy when Yuki disperceived that she had fallen asleep. She was singing to her father. Diamond songlight crystallized in the air around her. She was outside, and the great moon appeared even greater than normal. The songlight lured Saint Cecilia closer to Yuki, like a gentle creek washing a fallen leaf downstream. Saint Cecilia was getting so bright now, she had to close her eyes. She could still perceive the diminished light of the moon through her closed eyelids, brighter and brighter still. Desperate to see what was happening, Yuki opened her eyes. She woke and for a brief moment was stressless. The constricted creases of her mind had unwound themselves, happy to have been rested. The bluebell that was previously before her had now returned to its normal heights, with the great moon shining above. Yuki tried to move her arms, and they obliged groggily. She impotently bawled and relaxed her fists to coax them back into functionality. When they had strengthened enough to pull the watch on her arm up to her face, shock Innovated the rest of her body. She wasn't late to meet Nevin, but the chance she might make it on time was slim, especially if she remained here like she truly wanted to. Yuki moved quicker than her body was prepared for. Shakily standing to her feet, she recalled the path she took to this clearing, palming her way through the dark trees back the way she came. After negotiating a misremembered dead end, she soon found the exit to the park. She cursed Evelyn's skill before pointing her bike south towards Lavender and hoisting herself onto the saddle. She pedaled hard and hurtled downhill towards the Minster. The glow of Evergreen's mushrooms transitioned abruptly into Lavender's song lamps. The songlight strobed as she flew by. She traveled so quickly that her bike floated over the mortar between each stone in the cobbles below. She broke hard outside the minster and laid her bike on the ground. She checked her watch, and its hands had not ticked over into midnight just yet. She quick-stepped towards the potillo of the minster. Stepping through. She saw the minster prepared for the ceremony, as usual. The flame-capped candles clustered together in candelabras, their light reflecting off the collection plates at the end of the pew rows. She saw that Felix was sitting in the front row. Nevin was ahead, setting up the moonlight altar to his satisfaction. She shuffled over to Felix, who raised an eyebrow and a smile at her arrival. Where have you been? You said we'd be here early, scoffed Felix. We'll tell you later. We just need to listen today. It's no big. She was interrupted by the minor bell of the minster. She ceased talking altogether, then watched Nevin process down to the moonslight pool. His mannerisms were composed and calmed, which in turn calmed Yuki. Nevin finished his introduction and then, after a poignant pause, started singing the hymnal. Nevin's tone was sweet to the ear, his flow between notes swelled and faded with grace. Yuki closed her eyes to listen closer, then remembered she had rushed here to see more than she had to hear. Opening her eyes, she looked around the minster and scanned the room for songlight. None of the diamond songlight had appeared. Motes of dust grabbed her hope, but each speck only proved to be the dust it was. Downcast, she turned towards Felix. He looked much the same as she felt. They exchanged sympathetic looks, and Felix cupped a hand to her ear. I was worried this would happen, he whispered. I spent most of the day thinking about it, too she responded. This satisfied Felix enough, and they both turned back to watch Nevin. This was not Yuki's first setback. Dispiriting disappointments were the down payment one must make to discover something new. So, as each pang of disappointment appeared, Yuki deflected it with that mantra. What was that?" asked Nevin, with a confidence that Yuki had never heard before. Felix responded before she could break the news to him. Musically, it was a balanced and thoughtful performance. Nevin smiled before asking, And what of the song light? Did you get what you need? Yuki put a finger to her mouth. And considered her words. That looks like a no, said Nevin, whose mood wilted at the non-response. It was no good to have a demotivated subject, but pretending everything was fine wasn't a sound strategy either. Yuki started with a gentle approach. It is difficult for a researcher to observe and not learn anything. We made progress today. It was true, and this outcome was not unexpected to Yuki. Evergreen had prepared her for this to take time, as long as Nevin could be patient. But did you get the songlight you wanted? asked Nevin. Yuki saw that Nevin was clearly worried about letting her and Felix down. It was a burden he need not take upon himself just yet. Yuki hesitated, considering how best to comfort him. Not… exactly. Nevin drooped upon hearing this, and Yuki jumped in to raise his spirits. This is research, Nevin. Songlight not appearing is a message, not a problem." She watched Nevin calm a little. She must be getting through to him. "'I even planned for this,' continued Yuki. "'Remember Felix's golden songlight? That took years for him to control.'" Felix concurred, saying, Trial, error, and desperation were fine teachers. Do you have years to wait for me, though?" asked Nevin. It was a fair point. Committing to this project for years had little appeal to Yuki if they weren't getting results, but she really didn't believe it would take that long. We have time to train you, Nevin. she reassured. She saw Felix's face recoil slightly, either in confusion or disbelief. Yes, it took Felix years to learn it, on his own, but you will not be alone. She turned to Felix and clapped a hand on his shoulder. Isn't that right? She might have felt bad surprising Felix like this, but he really should have expected this development. With the way she was talking. To her delight, Felix stepped up without missing a beat. You won't be alone, Nevin. I'll show you what I know. Yuki clapped her hands together. And then you'll show us what you can really do, Nevin.